And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Venus Val Tower, retired U.S. Army soldier that was trained in combat EMT. She's also a laboratory tech and a paralegal who had a near-death experience due to falling off a second-story roof. V, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Oh, good day. Hello. Um, even though my name's Venus Valerie, just call me V. Um, I'm a military retired now, but I had enjoyed 24 years of service. And as you said, I've, I've done many uh, different things in my um, service period. But what really made an impression on my life is after an accident that I had when I was 17, I was just hanging out with my friends trying to get away from my father, who was an abusive man. And my friends dared me to do some repelling. Well, not having any formal training at that time, I was a little bit careless. And then I misstepped and fell from the second floor. It's amazing when you're falling, that time seems to slow down. The earth coming to my face, slow down. And the only thing I could focus on is let my feet land first. So I, I did my best not to lean forward. And I had heard from other adults at that time that those that are intoxicated have less injuries than uh, those that are sober. So in my mind, I'm going, I'm going to relax into it. And as I hit the ground, I said to myself, you're a doll. Uh, to make myself soft, you're a doll. Um, for a moment or two there, I blacked out. And my friends came around me and they started shrieking because uh, um, I had started bleeding from my thigh. And in the pool of blood, I could feel it trickling on down my leg. So at least they had the good sense to call for emergency services. And very quickly, they uh, responded. And I was awake during uh, um, the recovery, but I couldn't speak. I was numb. That was me going into shock. And I just watched the staff and people move about me. Um, it was only five minutes to the ER, but by the time I was transferred from the gurney to the bed, when I was hit with an overwhelming amount of pain. And the pain was all over my body now from my toes into my fingers. And now I'm listening to the staff trying to ask me my name, trying to take off my clothes. And at that moment, I realized, yes, you're in a hospital. 
and I'm uh, I'm in panic because my father's going to freak out when he has to pay this hospital bill. So another moment or two, while wires and pressures are, are being done and fluids being introduced, and I stop being you know, focusing on the pain of my body, but the pain of my father's response when he got there. Because in the past, he has physically beaten me. So I'm going like, I don't know what is worse, this pain or my father's response. And then the room started, I started to get tunnel vision where the sides get dark and you only see the center. But I'm, I'm still in pain and the tunnel vision gets down to about the size of a straw and now it's dark. Um, I could feel my chest rising, so I think I'm still breathing. And then in the next moment, um, the, uh, the tunnel vision opens up and it's expanding. But now my point of view is different. Now I'm looking down at the bed. I'm looking down at the staff um, and in this tunnel uh, around me, I notice there's no noise, noise is gone. And I go, there's no pain. I don't feel the physical pain. And a strange sensation starts, gets my attention. There's a warmth that starts rising from my toes, up my leg. And the only thing I could perceive, it's like I'm coming into a mist. And the mist comes up my body and over my face. And it is warm. And it is comfortable. And I'm not in pain. And I'm getting so excited. And gee, this feels almost as better than a sexual orgasm. I'm looking up. What is happening here? Don't understand this. And I'm just enjoying this moment. And I'm feeling, uh, 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 I'm feeling hugged. I don't know what I'm being hugged by. The mist, I'm, I'm feeling hugged. And um, it's still in a great overwhelming silence. And then I perceive somehow that going to be all right. This is going to be better. And I'm going like this to myself. It's better already. <laughs> and um, I'm focusing on this response and the sensation of warmth. And I really, at that moment, I can say after a moment or two, it felt like love. And I'm enjoying this. And I go to myself, Gee, I hope I can stay here forever. And I said, put poor V down there. And I looked down. And as I looked down and focused on body, um, and my attention took me back to the body. And in a very quick movement, um, my consciousness is now back in my body. And just as I arrived, it's at the same moment, 
that the doctor's doing a precordial thump uh, um, to get my heart started again. And as he hits me, I wake up and I feel the pain and enough to say, ow. So the staff are celebrating that I back. I'm not happy because a moment ago, I was pain-free. I was calm, I was fear-free. But now, even though I had the pain uh, um, in my chest, I didn't have the fear. I didn't have the fear of whether, how my medical outcome was gonna be. I didn't have the fear uh, um, that I might die from what else is go going on with the body. And I didn't have the fear of uh, the abuse that my father would give me. Fear was gone. So it made me clam up when I, I didn't respond to the doctors and nurses talking to me. I didn't tell them about my experience. And I thought if I kept it close and quiet to myself, I might return to it. Um, that's not happened. Uh, uh, um, I recovered from my injuries. Um, uh, medical staff just thought that I was withdrawn and quiet due to the trauma. And my father's response to when I came home and he's waving the bills in front of me, I just looked off and I'm going, you can't hurt me. I know what hurt is. So uh, I figured this was a lesson that I do know what hurt is, and this person can't hurt me. So because he didn't enlist the fear response, I guess he had for me and other times in my life, it was no fun. So he, he, he left me alone. He might argue at me, but he wouldn't be physical. Um, other responses that I had, I got feedback from other people around me saying, I, uh, it wasn't that I was challenging to do things, but I had no fear of response. If I was had to drive through traffic and other people in the car were saying, oh, you know, these people are crazy. Um, you got to drive tight and going like, no, I have no fear. Uh, whatever it is, if you just drive conservatively or you move conservatively, Things will go well. Now, how I ended up in the army. Now, my father, father uh, grabbed me. Um, I had been out of graduated high school a week. And he says, I want you to go somewhere with me. Well, it wasn't I want it was you're going. I, I, I went, he took me down to the army recruiting. And he says, this is the best thing for you in the future. So, uh, um. He uh, had me uh, enlist in the army. And um, I did that because I realized, gee, this is a way that I can get away from home, have fun, see the world. And uh, um, then the question was, well, what do you want to do as a career? And because I didn't have that fear and, and, and stress of, of life, I said, I somehow want to share this. And the only way that I saw I could do that was going into the medical field. 
field. So um, um, being a medic and being out in, in the field, some people will worry, let's say airborne, um, they over worried that they would fall, that in their jump, they would injure their knee, their ankle, which was quite common. But part of it was their mindset and being stressed out uh, um, about the fall. And I shared my experience that I was not stressed out in the fall, that gravity uh, um, wouldn't harm me if I was relaxed. And in saying that, people say, well, have you meditated? And that's when, um, after I became a medic, I would meditate. When I was out in the battlefield in between um, engagements, um, um, I would, would take my staff and say, let's take this moment and, and love ourselves and realize we love ourselves, then we can love others. And I did that uh, on the battlefield. And uh, when patients did come in and, and they were upset of the injuries or they were still upset in their environment, I said, do you have your inner spirit? can't do anything about the world and what's happening to you elsewhere. But right now, right here, I brought, tried to bring them into now. And um, after uh, um, I had, I really didn't focus on my near-death experience daily. It was like in the back of my mind. If I was really quiet, I'd focus on it. Otherwise, walking around in the world, it wasn't with me. But um, then I had a number of, of shared death experiences. Before we go into your shared death experiences, let me ask you a couple questions. When you were first out of your body in the hospital, were you up in the corner next to the ceiling? Um, I felt like I was higher than the ceiling. I, ahead of me, I could see the ceiling, but it was if I was in a space just slightly higher than that. I could not see any uh, roofing material, so I might have been in the ceiling. Hmm. But it didn't move around the room. I just stood at uh, one perspective that would have been my uh, uh, my right uh, upper looking down. Many experiencers wind up right next to the ceiling in the corner. So I was just curious yeah. if that was the same with you. And it yeah. also kind of makes me curious, why do they go to the ceiling? You know what I mean? Like, what? why is it that space? But yours, you took it one step above it and went right up into the ceiling, it appears. Mm -hmm. But um, there have been people saying that they've seen from behind walls or behind doors. And I have to say, I must have been just at the ceiling or, or into it because I could see it, but I didn't see the material in front of me. I was not aware of that. While you were up there, could you care less about V laying down below? Oh, yes, because there was that time uh, 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 um, and time, of course, gets distorted. I, I could not tell feeling up there whether it was one minute or, or five minutes. But um, the only reason I perceived any uh, movement of time was the slow response from my toes to my head, the, the change of, uh, of that environment. After that experience, 
did you notice that you had any new mental or psychic abilities that you didn't have prior? No, no, not at that. I did not express it then. And um, I say that because it wasn't until I had a shared death experience that uh, I felt some different uh, uh, responses. But it was that NDE that gave me this uh, 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 lack of fear of comfort. While you were working in combat, do you feel like you had an advantage over most people because at that time of your life didn't fear death anymore? Um, other people had come up to me saying, well, you're taking this assignment at this hour. It's most dangerous there. Where are you concerned? I'm going like, no. Uh, um, so the others around me noticed that uh, I did not have the weight of fear. And, and um, um, I saw the weight of, uh, of fear in others. How were you able to help them through that fear? I asked them to... Well, first thing was breathe. Focus on their breathing. And to hum. I asked them to hum their favorite song. I can get people down, whether it was country, western, or opera. Well, what is your favorite song? Brings them away from uh, their current environment. And uh, that's how I, I would lead them into trying to find their way of meditation. A lot of people said, no, I didn't meditate. I just focused on the song, like you said, and I felt much better and went through it. So everybody has a different path of getting there. I may take you in a little different direction that you're not used to, but do you think it's possible that you planned this NDE pre-birth and you were also planned to help these people during combat? Pre-birth experiences or past lives I've thought about, and I can't remember that. Uh, um, and I believe that we do have a a, a, a life out of the body. And uh, um, if I did not have had the NDE, I wouldn't have believed it, but I'm not aware of it. And I have not been aware of any past lives. Either during your NDE or afterwards, did you ever come into any contact with beings like angels? I have to say that after my near-death experience, I did develop a, a belief in angels. I had a belief in a force that would protect me because the first threat that I had after my NDE was my encounter with my father. And when I was expecting um, violence, um, it was the response of an angel. To me, I heard a fluttering of wings and it distracted my father when he was going to hit me. And then a few minutes later, when he was going to make another hostile move, um, um, an item fell off the wall that had been there for years. That was, I, I, I looked up and I realized this is happening 
and it's protecting me because I'm not going to get nailed at this moment. And then you know, three times that day, um, um, when my father was going to make a hostile move in front of me, another time, um, it was as if another entity brushed uh, a cup right off the table. And we're both looking at it. It's not us. And it distracted us from, from that um, uh, moment of violence. And I was, after that point, I, I embraced it. I said, you must be an angel because you saved me. I really thought I was going to get hurt at this moment. And after that day, I keep talking to angels. And uh, um, my definite angel is my uh, car parking angel. And I can count on my car parking angel. If I'm going somewhere and it's going to be congested and I might not find a spot. If I talk to my angel for a few minutes before, something will open up as I get there. If I'm in a big rush and I don't talk to my angel, I won't find a spot. I'll be going around and around. Um, um, there are other times um, that I know my angel is around. My angel is around all the time and I try to talk to it. And little things like sometimes I'll go out the house and I realize I, I, I don't have my phone. And now I have to go back and retrieve the phone. And now the phone's right in the middle of the floor. How did it get there? Um, and I realized, Angel, you know, you're guiding me. These are our little signs. And uh, that's that's another thing that keeps me going. I, I do a lot of driving cross country by my, myself. And uh, um, um, if I, I listen to my angel, I talk to my angel. My angel's never really vocally or shown a, a physical form, but manipulated matter around me. That's what my angel has done. So um, uh, that's a little disturbing because, you know, we think we have privacy. Nope, our, our, our angel's right there watching us. So maybe that's a good thought to keep me from getting into mischief. Because if I'm thinking about mischief, my, my angel's there to see that. So uh, um, I, I remember that. And um, I would ask people, talk to your angel. It's going to take a while if you haven't done that before. What's it going to hurt? But if you, you know, you take a moment and be silent, your, your angel will uh, uh, help you focus on what's best for you at the moment. All right. Well, let's move forward to your shared death experience. My shared death experience was from an individual I'd gotten engaged to. And um, he was mm, 10 years older than me. So I'm in my 20s. He's in his 30s. Unfortunately, this young man got diagnosed, diagnosed with pancreatic, not pancreatic, um, testicular cancer. But because of his age, doctors say he's probably going to make a recovery. He's going to live a lot longer. Let's just go into a, a medical uh, uh, um, uh, medication regimen, and he should respond. Well, unfortunately, he had an allergic response to his medication. 
and I was uh, with him at the hospital. And I'm telling the staff, this guy's vitals are not looking right. He's going sour. What's going on? And um, as I uh, um, am getting nurses and doctors to respond, uh, um, my boyfriend takes my hand and says, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> and I said, you know, maybe you're not. I said, if it feels good to you, maybe you're not. And I told him I loved him. I told him other people uh, uh, loved him. So take a deep breath, relax, and we'll see uh, what's going to go on. And he did. And holding his hand, it went from cool, normal temperature. Then it got very, very hot. The muscle in the hand was weak, but this heat radiated out of him. It radiated out of him. And that's when I kind of saw like a mist uh, leave his body. And at the same moment, I was feeling this heat in my hand. And I said, well, this is your, your time to go or, 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 or to experience. I, I'll be here. And then a medical staff rushed in the room and tried doing uh, CPR, but he was gone. And I was aware that he was going. And for that moment, he even knew he was going. So I called that a shared experience. That's the first time that I've ever had someone recount that a person's hand got hot at the moment that they left. What do you think caused that? Medically, don't have an explanation for it. Um, we, the human body will have spasms uh, um, um, as they start losing control, uh, as, as the nerves misfire. And that is the closest answer that I've gotten from medical staff about this heat and and that I felt in his hand. But what they couldn't answer, and I didn't ask them, was what was this mist that was um, the body was discharging at that time? Because I knew what it was, so I didn't bother to ask that. So how did his passing affect you? Well, I, I grieved. I missed him. I was beginning to plan a life with him. Um, he had proposed to me. Um, but it was me trying to figure out what to do going on because I knew he was in a better place. I knew that he wasn't in pain because when I related to my near-death experience, I was out of pain. And that's what I wish for any loved one, not to be in pain. But that wasn't the only sheer death experience I had. Um, five years later, another gentleman had proposed to me. He proposed to me early, but I, I held off a, a couple more years because of what previously happened. Well, um, so, not, not so lucky. <laughs> uh, we're about to go away 
to uh, uh, Las Vegas to do a quick wedding chapel uh, wedding there from New York. And uh, um, we had some cocktails and, and went to sleep. And I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, went to the bathroom. And when I came back to bed, I realized this person isn't moving. And um, um, then um, I, I, I took his pulse and realized it was barely there. So I called 911. And, but with this gentleman, as I'm holding his hand, he went very cold. The hand went very cold. And instead of seeing um, a mist, his body did one violent shake, as if he was shaking off his spirit. The whole body did that. And then it stopped. And then I didn't have a pulse. And uh, um, um, the paramedics came in. And when by the time they took him to the hospital, they had already called on death. And I'm going, why am I here again in a similar spot? I want to share this life with someone. And, um, but I was not looking for these gentlemen. They found me. So I said to the creator, I always believed in a creator, a source. I believe that I'm like a first grader, I'm not going to understand totally what he has planned for me. And I will just go along with it. So uh, I just turned in my meditation saying, look, um, that was a very great experience. I was lucky to have it, but I'd really like someone to share a, my, my rest of my life with. Then brought it to me. And um, this uh, third young man, uh, we were together six months when he proposed, and I quickly said yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, um, that that lasted for for thirty years, and I had a wonderful marriage, and I had five uh, kids, two boys, three girls, and we were having a wonderful time until one morning he woke up and he was totally yellow, and. That was because his pancreas and his bile ducts had blocked off and he had pancreatic cancer. So um, having that diagnosis, they said he, he lasts the year, but somehow in our hearts, we knew it was going to be less than that. So this, this gentleman said, well, I'm going to have a goodbye tour. Some entertainments go retirement, they go around the country and say they're uh, tours in different towns and cities. So that's what, what my husband Ken did. He took me on the goodbye tour. We went uh, in our RV all over the United States. He was a mason. We went to different clubs and that. Until one morning, uh, um, I woke up and said, I don't want to go on without you. I've had to go on without other people. Now, we don't know at this point. He's sickly. He's probably, he's supposed to have another four, four months. But I just woke up that morning saying that uh, um, this is it. So with, he, he talked me out of it. 
And uh, um, I was trying to give him breakfast. He didn't want breakfast. Now I'm in one room and there's a TV set going on in, in another room. And we had planned for um, our funerals um, that we would have bagpipes. Okay, now it's in the middle of the day on a Saturday. I don't know why. We're hearing bagpipes playing from the next room. It's playing on the TV set for some, some other occasion. I'm going like, I turned to him. I said, did you turn it on? I don't know why. He wasn't really able to walk that day. I, I, I asked him and uh, I'm going, should I, I, I go look? And he nodded his head, no. So I said, look, you're not going to get piped um, to heaven before I do. And he nodded, yes. So I'm going like, oh, okay. So I just sat down next to him and I, I held his hand and we listened to the rest of the song. But when the song came to an end, he wheezed and he, he had left his body. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I, like I said, I, I knew he was, that that tune was calling him. I knew he, he was going to be gone. And uh, um, I checked his vitals to see uh, uh, if there was any response there, but because of his diagnosis, I, I didn't have to go call EMT. It would be just the funeral home next. And uh, I rejoiced for him that he was not in pain. Um, I felt comfortable that I, I, I let him go because uh, um, I, I loved him so. And I did have a good period of time with him. And uh, um, I think if it wasn't for that scenario of our goodbye music playing, my grief would have been harder. So um, the first couple months, uh, um, um, my grief, just had me kind of numb. Um, I didn't want to deal with the outside world. And, but I was to myself, I was rejoicing. I look back on the photos and the roadmaps and we had a, a, a good life. And I, uh, um, I thank the creator that I had that. So after that, I'm going like, now what am I going to do with myself? But it, it wasn't until my, my, my teenage uh, daughter said, Mom, you're a black widow. They keep dying on you. <laughs> you, you are, are you killing them? I said, no. But I'm supposed to be with them. They all were comfortable because I was going to be with them. So at, at that point in time, as a retiree, I'm going like, what am I going to do? Well, uh, once my daughter said that, I said, I should go into hospice work. I said, I can I can share that that comfort that I've had. So I've, I've been training to be a deaf doula now. But what I, after interacting with other people that had near-deaf experience just recently, um, my comfort, I, I talked to my husband every night but it wasn't until after I was listening to others, I think I com uh, was comforted and relaxed even more. And I had a after death experience. 
So I was just one evening there, I'm just filing my nails and I feel something brush by me. There's nobody in the house and there's no sound. And then I feel like I'm being touched on my shoulders. And I said, oh, my husband, Ken, oh, I'm glad you're back around. Well, I, I really miss you. I know you're in a great place. It's been way too long. And that's when I had a, a different type of experience. I felt like I was being physically touched, physically touched all over as he would have done. So I just laid back down in bed and I said, I'm gonna enjoy this moment. Maybe he's here to take me because my life is coming to an end. Or maybe this is just him reaching out, out to me. And I, I enjoyed that moment, which lasted, I guess, in the real world, about 10 minutes. But in my head, it, 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 it stood with me and vibrated with me uh, until the sun rose. So I started doing that at 10. So, so the sun rose at 5 o'clock the next morning. And uh, I'm going like, why didn't I have this years ago when I really needed it? And I've learned that my vibrations was 210. I was still breathing a little too hard. Now I had gotten very comfortable with it. Uh, 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 10 years after his passing, I had gotten used to still, you know, reaching out and communicating and, and celebrating. I think I had gotten to that point in my life. And that's when he was able to to reach out and I, I really call that and, uh, and after uh, um, death experience. Thank you for sharing those experiences with us. You are a strong woman, in my opinion, to be able to go through those experiences three times in a row. My strength um, is because I learned that I, uh, I wanted to be of service. I learned that I wanted to love. Uh, I learned I wanted to share kindness. And my strength comes in because I believe in a source. And I so enjoy right now. Uh, my strength is from watching quantum science, trying to figure out where the Big Bang came from, getting closer and closer and closer. And I said, yes. Uh, we are uh, the scientists, our children, and they're going to figure out resources. That's where my strength is. Um, because at this point, I've learned nothing in the physical body can hurt me. And, and knowing that there's love on the other side, that's not going to hurt my mind and my, my emotion. And as I see other people or my children around me, I said, don't spend too much time being sad because we don't have too much time. And it's that attitude that, that gives me strength. I find it fascinating that twice these men understood it was time to go and they were leaving. I had shared my uh, thoughts and experiences um, um, when I met them, and that's kind of what made us uh, a couple. And uh, uh, in saying, I don't have a fear of death, how do you feel about it? 
And I was drawn to individuals. Uh, um, uh, three of them were, yeah, they were all, all service people. Um, they, they had known uh, the fear of death from combat. And it made them relish and enjoy what time they had in their life uh, um, outside of that even more. Are you currently working as a death doula? Yeah, I'm volunteering um, as a death doula. I do that uh, um, for veterans here in uh, Key West. Um, and then the other half of my, my day, I'm, I'm working as a belly dancer. And then I go back six months to uh, Massachusetts. At, that's where my grandchildren are at. And I'll stay and I'll support them. And then part of the time I'll work as a death doula. You, you know, no one should die alone. Right. How do you advise people facing death? First thing, which is the hardest, is to forgive yourself. You've made a mistake. Everybody's made a mistake. But if you can say to yourself that you're sorry, if you can tell the person um, um, that you've hurt, that you're sorry. And sometimes they're dead and you tell them, write, write, write a note. Or if you're not able to write, uh, um, leave a voice message to yourself saying that apology. Because you, I'm trying to get you to relax, to greet death. And you can't do that if you haven't forgiven yourself for the things that you've done. And it's this is a time if you have if you have the time uh, um, to reach out to those that are still living that, uh, and apologize because you can't take things with you, but you want to leave those who are here feeling better. So, uh, and I say better because some people have their own attitudes and they'll never forgive you, but they'll remember that you made the effort that moment to apologize. What inspires you about your near-death experience? Connection to a source. The focus that that source is love. And... That love is better than an orgasm. And I have a feeling that when my life is over, uh, um, yeah, um, that I'm going to go back to that love. I'm going to go back to a love that I, better than I had in, in this lifetime. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to. So earlier I asked you if you had any abilities after your NDE and you said that you didn't, but you yes, said you, you did after your uh, shared death. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Uh, what I perceived is that uh, um, um, my abilities change in sensation to being comfortable with those that are dying and those who are sick. Um, I can't see the future. But I did have this sensation of uh, when my loved one's near me. I just recently had an experience where my mother-in-law, um, well, my daughter's mother-in-law, she passed away. Uh, and just before her funeral, 
she took me back to her hometown in Portugal. I had never been and um, brought a scene to me. And then I could share it with her children. And I explained the place and how she was, was dressed. And that was a vision. So that's a little gift. And I think the gift that stays with me now is the ability to uh, be with others who are, are dying and to help them feel comfortable before they go over. Has the memory of your NDE faded over time? It kind of got quiet the first 10 years well, uh, before I had a, um, um, a shared death. And then it's like, I could see the whole thing clearly. And it has been stayed clear and focused ever since then. My, after my first fiance died. Um, and today it's very clear as um, I'm in almost 70 and that happened when I was 17. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up for that? Um, yes. And right now, the, the best ways to reach me is um, through Facebook, Venus Val Tower at, at Facebook. And then after my um, email met, uh, um, address, I'll leave with you to put, put in the box, which is uh, tower369 at hotmail.com. And I'd be happy to respond. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I would ask, please try to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. And share a little kindness to others. It does ripple out. And uh, um, I'll tell you, there is love out there. It's not perfect. But it, your 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 kindness can make a difference. That's what I, I, I share to all my friends. V, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. It's my pleasure. So good to talk to you. Likewise. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.